from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Later, uh, some of my neighbors uh, said, well, you know, I thought they were tarring a road because the smell. And then another uh, neighbor just a day later was like, well, I've had these headaches. I think this is a wake-up call for us. We need to ensure fossil fuel companies feel these incidents in their pocketbooks. There's a great deal of wildlife, waterfowl, um, amphibian life. Let's not let this opportunity pass. The real tragedy here would be if we just keep doing business as usual. I'm Sarah Fenske. An oil spill in Edwardsville unleashed an estimated 165,000 gallons of crude oil into Madison County waterways earlier this month. That's an unusually big spill, one that comes with an environmental cost. And it came with little notice to nearby residents, even those living just blocks away. Tony Oplett is one of those residents. She lives in Edwardsville, just blocks from Cahokia Creek, and she joins us now. Tony, welcome. Hi, thanks. We're also joined today by Hannah Flath. She is the communications coordinator for the Sierra Club Illinois. Hannah, welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Tony, I want to start with you. You're a longtime environmental activist, but this disaster, almost in your own backyard, caught you off guard. What were your first signs that something was afoot near Cahokia Creek? I guess my first sign is kind of ironic because it was an NPR reporter who called me. Uh, I was on my computer getting ready for a meeting, and Eric Schmidt called. We've worked together before on coal ash issues. And that's our Metro East reporter here he at is. St. Louis Public Radio. He is. And he said, Tony, what's up with the oil spill in your, in your community? And I said, well, Eric, you got me. I have no idea what you're talking about. So we did a little bit of research online and did indeed see that there had been a major spill uh, a leak, a breach uh, from the Marathon uh, pipeline, and precariously near Cahokia Creek. Uh, and um, as you said, that's blocks from my home. There wasn't any notification from the city or the county. And, and the fact that you were able to find some information online, at that point, the city and county knew about this? They must have, because it had reached social media. So somehow, somewhere, somebody knew something. Later, uh, some of my neighbors uh, that I called almost immediately uh, said, well, you know, I thought they were tarring a road because the smell. And then another uh, neighbor just a day later was like, well, I've had these headaches. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a wake-up call for us that, you know, we always think of natural disasters as being far away until they're with us. Yeah, and, and then right we, in your backyard. Right, and then we start seeing the effects and feeling them and realizing that, you know, we're all connected. So we should mention the city did put some information on its Facebook page, I guess, through the fire department. But the fact that there was no sort of door-to-door -door notification, nothing directly to residents in this area. Uh, tell us just a little bit about this Cahokia Creek. Is that something that, that people might uh, be in contact with? Okay, so when we talk about my backyard, I have a pretty special one. Blocks from my home is a watershed nature preserve that we're all very proud of. 
and many people in the area and outside the area, even from St. Louis, come to visit. Uh, also, right along Cahokia Creek run the Madison County Transit Trails. Those are reclaimed railroad track uh, lines, and the the trail uh, that has a bridge over the Cahokia Creek is is one of the most popular stretches of that trail. Hundreds of bicyclists, joggers, walkers, birders are on that bridge at any given time. And the weather's been quite nice. So people have been out there. They've been out there. And so, yes, to answer your question directly, there are quite a few people who come in contact with this area. So, Hannah, um, is it unusual that there wouldn't be some point of, of telling neighbors about a spill of this magnitude? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think we have certainly seen a variety of examples um, from past spills. Uh, we would certainly recommend that uh, local you know, regulators do their best to ensure uh, updates are given to the local community. Oftentimes, however, this sort of thing does tend to fall on folks like Tony. She is a incredible environmental advocate, um, Sierra Club volunteer, longtime supporter of environmental issues in the Metro East region. And oftentimes it ends up being sort of this word of mouth that Tony was describing uh, in terms of contacting her neighbors and uh, posting to social media ourselves uh, to try to get the word out quickly. So, Hannah, um, Tony mentioned that the neighbors suddenly realized, okay, that's what we've been smelling. There was something, something in the neighborhood that some had picked up on. Are there hazards for people who are living near a spill like this and, and, and breathing it in? What do we know about this kind of, of spill? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, first, I'll note that I think Tony described this this odor and um, a few neighbors described experiencing headaches and things like that. Um, that is, of course, of concern. Um, I think in the sort of bigger picture perspective here, it's important to note that we do know that the air toxins uh, that are uh, part of crude oil um, are dangerous. Crude oil is a mixture of hydrocarbons uh, that are made up of light, medium, and heavy chemicals. And while we don't yet have a specific analysis of the presence of those toxins as a result of this spill, we do know that those toxins are harmful for both people and the environment, even at low concentrations. And it's important to note that that's not just on a short-term basis, but a long-term basis as well. So, Tony, at this point, now a little bit of time has passed since this initially spilled. Has there been communication to people living so close to this area? The communication that I've received, I've come upon myself. Um, You've sought it out. Yes, exactly. Um, and I, some people have tried to call the fire department, the police department. Um, they're not, um, I, I would say that they're being considerate. They're not being extremely forthright in, in explaining the situation. And so I think for people like myself, for community members, it becomes 
a long series of questions that don't get answered. You know, as Hannah mentioned, what are the long-term effects of this? There, we do know some things. We know that wildlife has been injured, that we have a great local uh, rescue service um, just north of us in Dahl, Treehouse Wildlife Center, and they've been working tirelessly to try to rescue animals. There's a great deal of wildlife, waterfowl, um, amphibian life, uh, in in and around this large watershed area. Mm-hmm. So um, those are the immediate uh, things we see. Mm-hmm. Those are the immediate effects. But I think down the road, people like myself worry about what are the long-term effects. You know, um, it's going to be summer. More and more people are going to be in that area. And just like uh, teenagers everywhere... There'll be teenagers who will find some recreational activities near that creek. People will get wet. People will get wet. We don't want people to be poisoned. Our producer reached out to Marathon Pipeline LLC, which owns this pipe that had the spill, um, seeking comment on the status. In a statement, the company said its response will continue until cleanup is complete. Quote, remediation and restoration work continues in the affected area. The public is asked to avoid the recovery zone for the safety of the responders, the community, and to limit environmental impact. The top priorities of the Edwardsville response remain to ensure the safety of responders and the community and to limit environmental impact as we respond to the release and conduct cleanup activities. The company adds, quote, the spill area is being monitored 24 hours a day for impacted wildlife and audible deterrent is being used to keep any animals from entering the affected area. Marathon Pipeline LLC is covering all expenses related to the wildlife rehabilitation effort and providing all needed resources to recover and rehabilitate the impacted wildlife. Volunteers are not needed at this time. That is from Marathon Pipeline LLC uh, that uh, owns this pipeline. Hannah, in light of that, here's what they're saying. How does the Sierra Club see the company's actions since the spill? Do you have the sense it's doing everything it can? Yeah, so it's interesting to note in their statement um, that I think a lot of that, uh, you know, implies more directly to those cleanup activities, as their statement indicated. So uh, it sounds to me like a very short term response to this issue. Um, Of course, over the weekend, this past Friday, Attorney General Raul announced a lawsuit against Marathon Pipeline LLC. And, you know, I think that that'll be really helpful in making sure we continue to hold them accountable. Uh, It's clear that the um, Attorney General understands that we need to ensure fossil fuel companies feel these incidents in their pocketbooks, which (laughs) is unfortunately uh, one of the ways that we can hold folks accountable uh, in this day and age and making sure that we are using that to um, communicate this sense of urgency uh, to clean up the spill uh, immediately, but also to hold the company accountable long term as well. We're talking about a large oil spill in Edwardsville, 165,000 gallons of crude oil into the Madison County waterways. That's Hannah Flath, the communications coordinator for the Sierra Club, Illinois. We're also joined by Tony Oplett, who lives right in the neighborhood where this happened. Tony, what do you make of that statement from Marathon? Do you think at this point, um, you know, they're doing what they can? Well, I I think they um, are doing their job at this point because 
they're in the spotlight. They have some liability here, too. I mean, there is a lawsuit. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, as a member of the Sierra Club, I, I certainly joined the organization in being grateful to the Illinois EPA for bringing it to the attorney general's attention and that this lawsuit is going forward. Because down the road, um, we need to think about not just this bill, we need to think about the next one. Um, I doubt that most people, if they're not involved in some organization like the Sierra Club, I doubt that they understand the network of pipelines that exist underneath the ground in the state of Illinois and in other states. I doubt that they are aware of the potential danger and the aging infrastructure. Um, but if you're, if you are like me, if you are an environmental activist, if you have been involved and are really grateful to be working with people like Hannah, who who support you know community efforts and support community health and environmental health, then then you're starting to think about the future. You're starting to think about maybe it's time to retire fossil fuels, you know, in the wake of climate change, and maybe this is our opportunity to move to clean renewable energy. I, I can't say enough about the work that organizations across the state of Illinois did, have done for the past few years, and um, the governor signed our Climate and Equitable Jobs Act in last September. Mm -hmm. This is a huge opportunity for us. And if this has to be the wake-up call, then that's great. Then let's not let this opportunity pass. The real tragedy here would be if we just keep doing business as usual. Hannah, I'm glad that uh, Tony has brought up this bigger picture here. The Post-Dispatch had a story on Monday that was eye-opening, at, at least to me. Maybe people are paying attention to this issue, and this had just slipped below my radar. But they're talking about the web of pipelines that crisscross the St. Louis region. Reporters Bryce Gray and Janelle O'Day included some stats about just how many oil spills there have been in the region. 432 combined incidents in Missouri and Illinois since 2020, 72 resulting in of a thousand gallons or more, 36 have exceeded 10,000 gallons of leakage, while 13, and this does not include the recent spill in Edwardsville, have surpassed a hundred thousand gallons. Hannah, how big is this problem regionally? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for raising those statistics and, and numbers. I think those are crucial to think about in the long term in particular um, because of the shocking nature of that number. You know, over 400 combined incidents in Missouri and Illinois just in recent years is uh, no small problem. Um, and it just serves as a reminder that all pipelines are at risk of incidents like this. Um, and as Tony was saying, she's absolutely right. Uh, the Metro East area and really Illinois more broadly is unfortunately at risk for um, these incidents because of the network of pipelines uh, underneath the ground and in Illinois in particular. Um, we are, of course, at the center of the country, which makes us home to more miles of fossil fuel pipelines than most other states, putting our communities at risk. Um, and in many ways, I think because Illinois and the Metro East is located at the crossroads of America, 
and also at the intersection of these pipelines. This is really why it's so important to not just hold pipeline companies accountable and ensure that the pipelines are as safe as possible, but also to ultimately do whatever we can to end our reliance on these pipelines, like Tony was saying, and transition to renewable energy alternatives and use the recent passage of the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act uh, to really build on these opportunities to ensure we're moving away from this aging infrastructure. And, and Hannah, is that really the cause of a whole bunch of these? I mean, this isn't like something wildly unexpected that happens where, you know, there's a, a massive car crash or, or something that's causing these spills. It's just old pipelines breaking down. This is going to be happening routinely if somebody doesn't deal with this. Absolutely. And I think that the the numbers that you previously, you know, listed uh, alludes to that fact that we have had 432 incidents in the last couple of years. Uh, that is an indicator, of course, that uh, these issues will continue to arise if we are not uh, dealing with these long-term consequences when spills do occur and also trying to move away from them as quickly as possible. So, Tony, this is all, again, in your neighborhood. What thought would you want to leave us with today as we think about these issues and think about what happened here and apparently over the last couple of years continues to happen here week after week? I think I think it's I think it's really important for people to understand that this isn't something that happened somewhere else that they have an opportunity to step up and require government agencies and industry to work together to solve these problems not just for today but for years and years to come and as Hannah has said this means moving away from fossil fuels, moving away from from um, how we've been doing things in the past. Yes, I think fossil fuels have played a part in in building a nation, but we, I think we need to think about where we're going to be years, a few years down the road. Um, weather disasters. I mean, we think about that in terms of infrastructure and pipeline. Um, we've seen more and more um, devastating weather events, and we're going to see more. And we live in what's been called Tornado Alley, right? Right. I mean, that's the terrifying combination right there. So let's look ahead instead of trying to just patch up the past. Well, Tony Oplett, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. And Hannah Flath, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. And Hannah is the Sierra Club Illinois spokeswoman. Uh, Tony is an environmental activist, lives right in the neighborhood where this giant spill took place. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. 
St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.